My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Today we begin the Novena to the Immaculate Conception. And as you know, it starts with the Feast of St. Andrew, who was the brother of St. Peter. And the two, these two brothers, who were very close from Bethsaida, these two became the most effective apostles ever. And we know they remained faithful right until the end. Both of them dying by crucifixion. St. Peter died, as you know, in Rome, crucified upside down because he, was, he considered that he was not worthy to be crucified in the same manner as our Lord. And St. Peter also was crucified, but on a cross that was in the form of an X in, in Greece. That's why when we begin this novena, we begin under this tone of apostolate. This kind of sense of fervor that Andrew and Peter brought to their lives so that you and I too might truly be faithful apostles, men who live their lives as apostles. That is, that we know how to evangelize. That is, bring souls to Christ. That's the tone with which we want to begin this, this novena, and, and it should or persist throughout the Novena. The Novena has traditionally always had an apostolic dimension to it. Because we know we are living in a very, very secularized society. We can't really say that we're in a Christian society, not even Judeo-Christian in many ways. You know, everything that we believe has been placed into doubt, derided by the media, by political authorities, and, and even what we can say has been severely restricted. But that does not mean that we cannot be fishers of men, like Andrew and Peter. It's beautiful, the, the first words that Jesus said to, to Simon, called Peter and his brother Andrew, as they were casting their nets into the sea, because they were fishermen, that's what they were, they, that's how they made their living, they were fishermen. And we, we were told here in, in St. Matthew, he said to them, come after me, and I will make you fishers of men. That's, that's what I, I'm going to make you fishers of men, I'm going to make you something. He did not say, uh, I'm going to ask you to help me out here, you know, I'm gonna, if you could just help me out and do a few things, uh, maybe you can go and invite a few people, you know, we're going to organize some nice talks and stuff, and... Uh, maybe nice meetings and, you know, maybe you could just, you know, go to that place, invite those people and it'll be a nice club. No, no, he said, you will be fishers of men. That is, you will be something. You will be apostles right from the first moment. And to be apostles has to, has to really be part of our DNA. Right? You know, if they found traces 
of your clothing or something you used, and, and they were to look at it under a microscope, you know, like a, a crime investigation, and they find, I don't know, your toothbrush or something, and, and they look under the toothbrush, and they look, and they say, yeah, that's so-and-so, and we can tell he's an apostle, right? He's an apostle. You know, others might say, oh, this guy is uh, probably a medium height and probably of Asian culture or this culture or that culture. No, no, they'll say, this toothbrush tells us he's an apostle. And that means that apostle is not doing things. It's not doing stuff. Right? Having meetings here or there or organizing stuff. It's, it just affects the way you look at others. It affects the way you speak to others. How we work, how we offer our work. And certainly, well, it's in the Novena to the Immaculate Conception because this happened to Our Lady. She was not simply an inconsequential vessel that happened to, to be there to offer her womb as though God could have used anybody else to bring about the incarnation of His Son. No, because long before you know, she was even born, long before she was even born, he guaranteed that she would be she would be pure. He prepared her, she would be immaculate, and thereby she would be queen of apostles. And that's why we really need that enthusiasm of the apostles, in particular today of Andrew, who went to his death, and he was ready to confront all the narratives of his day. And that day, of course, it was the paganism of the time or the ideas of the Jews that the Messiah was going to be more political, or whatever the narratives were. And we have different narratives now. We have the narratives of secularization, even apostasy among Christians who are no longer actually Christians. Even though, well, yeah, they're baptized, so that would make them Christian, but... In fact, they're not. You know, I, I recently heard about this channel, I guess it's a, some kind of news channel or something called Vox, and they have this uh, element they call Vox Explainers. Vox Explainers. So they give short little recaps, little 10-minute explanations about some subjects, and they had what they called, they called it a Vox Explainer on monogamy. Monogamy. And uh, they're trying to show that how monogamy is just, just, just not fit for human nature. Right? It's just, it just doesn't work. Right? And as you, I just listened to the first few, like a minute of this, and you hear the narrator's voice in the introduction, and she's just like dripping with sarcasm. Right? And she, she says, how long we believe this fairy tale, she says, about finding the right woman the right man, uh, but that really, that idea of monogamy is just too hard. Right? It's just never really happened. It's just a fairy tale, she says. So we might as well not even try. And then they have an interview with some expert psychologist, you know, who says, you know, we've been obsessed with monogamy. You know, again, dripping with this sarcasm, it's just ridiculous, right? 
And then they actually said, again, with this rolling of the eyes tone, you know, I mean, I didn't see the visuals, but I, I can just imagine they were like going, you know, says, don't you know that t- deep down love is different from monogamy, which is just a rule? We know love is a feeling. Right? You're there, what? What did they just say? Love is just, love is really a feeling. Monogamy is just a rule that we can do without. We don't need it. Why stick to a rule, they said, if it was invented by repressed people? Just live by your feelings. Yeah, that, that's, that's really going to work. Right? And they, they market these things, and I'm sure a lot of people believe this stuff. That's the world that we're in. That's why the Lord says to us now, come after me and I will make you fishers of men. And this is when Jesus comes in search of them. When they are working, in the middle of their professional work, he looks at them, come after me, I'll make something of you. Not simply do the work as fishers of fish. Anybody can fish fish. Or be a fisher of fish. You will be truly fishers, but more than that, you will be fishers of men. And you will be my apostles. Your life will be an apostolate. It will be a mission. And it's amazing how seriously they took that mandate. It's really quite, uh, quite stunning they understood that they were called not just to do apostolate or to do apostolic looking things or to organize circles or, or stuff like that. Some kind of activities or talks or explanations. They're certainly not Vox explanations. But to be apostles. And we can ask Our Lady now during this novena, make me an apostle. Change the way I look at life. Change the way I look at my work. At the way I pray. That's why we're doing this novena. It's nine days, as you know. Novena is nine days. Why nine? Well, I don't know exactly why nine, but uh, I read a, a classical Roman poet, Virgil, in the first century. He said, Numero Deus... Impare gaudit. God rejoices, he said, in the odd number. So, well, obviously nine is an odd number, so he seems to... Why should God rejoice in an odd number? I have no idea why, but uh, that's Virgil. But maybe it has something to do with the Trinity, you know, three plus three plus three. Or before Christmas, we're going to celebrate the Triduum, three days before Christmas, which is an odd number. But of course, we also celebrate octaves, right? So that doesn't make any sense. But uh, but now, it's going to be a novena. Nine days of prayers. Perhaps the, you know, one of the reasons is that we don't arrive at this solemnity of the Immaculate Conception kind of caught off guard. So we prepare for nine days. In the Middle Ages, they saw all kinds of meaning to the perfect number and, you know, sort of mathematical understandings of the numbers of plenitude and stuff but um, maybe some say that it nine number nine alludes to the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit or or that there are nine ranks of angels or or that Jesus died at the ninth hour but 
doesn't really matter why it's nine. What is important is that that we fill ourselves with yearning during this time and predispose ourselves to the graces we're going to ye- receive in in this uh, solemnity and that we are seeking. And uh, at the same time, we're we're praying that the these nine days in a row builds up a kind of confidence and a gratitude in us through this experience of holy anticipation. That's, that's why we're doing it, anticipation. We're anticipating December 8th, which will be that solemnity. And if you're anticipating, well, there's elements of yearning, there's elements of uh, hopefulness, there's elements of predisposition, and really think that we don't want to waste the graces that we're going to get on that feast. And the greatest grace that we can get is that God make us apostles. That He really fill us with a sense of responsibility for our faith. So that we don't simply keep it for ourselves. This is a divine treasure that we have received. Have I ever, for example, recommended good books to people? Or or invited my friends to read the gospel, or even read the gospel with my friends, or, or invited them to read the catechism, or, or some other good book that we have gotten something out of. We can you know, here's a good book, you should read this. And then when they take it, you pray that they, they connect with that book. That's a form of apostolate. And, of course, St. Augustine says that any kind of preparation like that, like a novena, can, can actually enlarge our desires. And, uh, well, it means that we have to, of course, ponder a little bit the place of Our Lady in the history of salvation. But one of the things we do throughout the novena is we look a little bit at the life of Mary, different aspects like like the Annunciation, uh, the Visitation, all, all these what we call mysteries in the life of Mary. Right? The, the wedding at Cana or the wedding feast at Cana, um, Our Lady at the foot of the cross, or when she was received, uh, in, she received the dead body of, of Jesus in her arms, and then, and then the day of Pentecost when she was there with the apostles. All these scenes are marvelously represented in art throughout the ages, and, um, and it helps us to understand the role of our mother. But it all began, it all began at one point. And the start of it all had to be with the Immaculate Conception. Pope John Paul II writes in his famous encyclical, Redemptoris Mater, or the Mother of the Redeemer. He introduces it like this, he says, The Mother of the Redeemer has a precise place in the plan of salvation. A precise place. For when the time, then he quotes here from uh, Galatians, for when the time had fully come, or when the fullness of time, so that, like the fullness of time, the best time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. 
That's from chapter 4 of St. Paul's letter to the Galatians. It's a very famous passage when he talks about the fullness of time. Of course, the fullness of time was the actual birth of Jesus, which is what we're also preparing for. But for that birth to be able to happen, God had to prepare a decent abode, a decent place, a sacred sanctuary, like a, like a real tabernacle. And that's why he prepared for years before he prepared Mary to be immaculately conceived in her mother, Anna. And some people think the immaculate conception refers to the conception of Jesus in the womb of Mary. It has nothing to do with the conception of Jesus in the womb of Mary. Because after all, if it's December 8th and then Jesus is born, I mean, that doesn't exactly follow on biology. You know? So some people say, church doesn't even know anything about biology. They don't understand that it takes nine months. You, know? you don't get theology, dude. You, know? you don't get theology. It's not the immaculate conception of Jesus in Mary's womb. It's the immaculate conception of Mary in the womb of her mother, Anna. We just happen to know that her mother's name is Anna from apocryphal gospels. And in some ways, that too is the fullness of time. Because that's when God initiates the entry moment, you could say, of salvation. God initiates things so that Mary could freely respond. You know, God offers and mankind receives. And since she was immaculately conceived right there, she's sinless, she's the Holy Mother of God, she's this unique creature that, that God made, and she is, in that sense, it is said, she is the masterpiece of God, the masterpiece. So when we venerate and pray to the Mother of God, we're, we're not doing it simply because she is like as though she, simply because she has all those virtues and qualities, but really we're in awe at what God can do in a creature. She was a creature. That is, the Immaculate Conception is all His doing. But her perfection and holiness, we know, don't make her aloof and distant or inaccessible to us. Because in, instead she's actually the mother of all, all of us. She's actually close to us and she draws near to us. And she desires to really to re- reveal the fullness of her son to the church and to the entire world. That's one of the reasons we always see so many paintings of Mary like we have here. She's presenting her son to us. And she's close. We can see how close. Everywhere you look on this side, when you go to that side of the oratory, that side, she's, she's watching you, right? She's keeping your, her eye on you because she is close. And so it is fitting that these, you know, these times of Advent and the Novena will, will often draw upon the Hail Mary as we, we pray to her. Pope John Paul II describes Mary as the, the morning star. He says, which is an, also an ancient um, way of describing her, the one who in the night of the Advent expectation began to shine like a true morning star. For just as this star together with the dawn precedes the rising of the sun, so Mary 
from the time of her Immaculate Conception preceded the coming of the Savior, the rising of the Son of Justice in the history of the human race. So she's the dawn, you know, when the earliest, when the, the, the earliest light that comes in the morning, it's dawn. And the first thing that you, that you see in, when you look out in the fields is the dew on the, on the leaves and on the, on the grass, the dew. She is like the dew of salvation. In fact, in Spain, there is a statue there in, um, in Andalusia, in the southern part of Spain, called Our Lady of El Rocío. Right? El Rocío, which means Our Lady of the Dew. And I said, why do they call her, you know, what is this, Our Lady of El Rocío? In fact, there's a lot of women in Spain called Rocío. But it comes from that invocation. And so it's a relatively large statue of Our Lady, and they have these insane, the pilgrims come, they have these insane processions, and they dance and, and sing to her. And it seems that this statue was discovered in, in a tree trunk, hidden away in the 15th century or something, um, for, for centuries it was hidden away there probably because uh, it was hidden during the time of the, the Moors and, and then they, some shepherd or something discovered it it was a beautiful image of Our Lady and uh, it came to be venerated all, well, in large parts of Spain especially in southern Spain and she came to be known as El Rocío Our Lady of the Dew similar invocation Our Lady is the morning star because God made her beautiful, but at the very dawn of salvation, at the very beginning. That's what we have to, as we, as we hear the story of Andrew and Peter, who became real apostles, we go to her asking her, right, to connect us with her, thinking about what God can really do with us. What can He do with me? How can I really be an apostle? And there's a, beautiful, there's a beautiful passage from the entrance antiphon that we will hear when December 8th comes. It's a beautiful entrance on, antiphon from the prophet Isaiah who, who speaks about joy. Would that we all have this kind of joy. It's one of the most beautiful expressions of joy in this hymn. He says, Gaudens, gaudebo, indomino, et Exultabit anima mea in Deo meo, which is translated as, I rejoice heartily in the door, in the Lord. Gaudus gaudebo in Domino. I rejoice rejoicingly in my God, who is the joy of my soul. Like he's repeating joy, 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 joy. It's like he's saying, or I delight in my God. My soul rejoices. My whole being shall exult in my God. So many ways to express this jubilance, this festivity, this solace, because of the beauty of our mother. The beauty of our mother. So we could ask about right now, our blessed mother, who is so beautiful here as we see her. God, because why? Because God made her beautiful. God made her beautiful. That's why, you know, none of us likes it whenever we see a, a picture of Our Lady that is not beautiful. We see a picture of Our Lady that's not beautiful, you know, we say, no, no, it's got to be more beautiful. And throughout the centuries, I mean, painters and artists have done just an amazing job. I, I, 
Sometimes they might be a little bit more, let's say, uh, popular looking, and but there's still a beautiful beauty to it, beauty to these images. So, so Isaiah rejoices in the in the beauty, of course. But then he says words that well, he rejoices, you know, that evoke the beauty of Our Lady that is clothed and adorned. For he has clothed me with the robe of salvation and wrapped me in the mantle of justice like a bride adorned with her jewels. So he's, he's picturing this, you could say, what God has done to him. And that phrase was applied to Mary. We're, con- we're meant to conjure up an image of this beautiful bride who has adorned herself with the best possible dress, this robe of salvation, a beautiful dress with, with jewels. And you know, women, when, when they get married, I mean, they, they go all out, all out preparing themselves. I remember many years ago, I was presiding a wedding, and the bride was late, and she was late, and you know, people were wondering, like, what's going on? And the groom was just like freaking out. You know, he was, he was going, what's going on, right? And he's waiting at the altar and he's going, what? She's 10 minutes, 15 minutes late. And I'm going, what's happening, man? What's going on? And he's going, well, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And then finally, like an apparition, she appears there, you know, and everybody, this sigh of relief. Oh, she's arrived, right? And of course, Everybody was happy that she made it, of course. But the sigh of relief was also because of her beauty. I mean, she came with her bridesmaids in this beautiful dress. And, you know, she had done herself up like like I'd, I'd never seen her like that before. You know, I mean, uh, she was bedecked with jewels and uh, a beautiful wedding dress that she, of course, kept hidden all, all that time. And uh, it turned out that, well, she'd waited until the last minute to be able to look like that, right? And then, uh, whatever, the chauffeur lost his way, traffic, whatever, and, uh, you know, but uh, nobody cared about the reason why she was late, right? All we knew was that she had arrived, and she was beautiful. And uh, this is Our Lady, I mean, she had arrived, she had arrived, right? And that's what she, well, she arrives, in the Immaculate Conception, that's when she arrives, right? When she is conceived. And in the same way, it was for centuries that people, just like that, that bride who took her time to arrive at her own wedding, well, it was for centuries that the people of Israel had been waiting for the Messiah. And now, in the fullness of time, not late, but in the fullness of time, the Lord was born. But that fullness started with the conception of our Blessed Mother and His Mother by that special grace of God who you know would be preserved from any stain of original sin she would be preserved right? so that no stain would touch her no stain of sin would touch her as a special unique grace she would be the mother of the savior and who in turn the savior obviously would would save us well we have to keep meditating on this and and ask the blessed mother to accompany us in this uh, in this beautiful novena and let us ask her to, to well, insert within us deeper apostolic drive. Like Andrew, and like his brother Peter, 
that we don't, don't do apostolate, but that we be apostles in the way we speak, the way we look, the way, the way it's expressed in our DNA. And she too, Queen of Apostles, will help to bring that about. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.